The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 17. So have you ever heard the verse that says, perfect love casts out fear? I know for me, years and years and years of hearing that verse, I always kind of thought, how in the world is love and fear considered the exact opposite? I've heard from many teachers over the years that they are the exact opposite, And I know we get it from the Bible, but it's also in other traditions as well. Today, I want to actually talk about some revelations I've had personally in my life over the last few weeks and maybe even months about just how true it is when we consider that fear and love cannot exist in the same place. I'm hoping to give you some tips and some tricks, if you will, on how to spot fear and the energies around it. And hopefully, at the end of it, as always, You'll find some nuggets that you can take back and you and Spirit can go over it yourself. So, let's get started. All right, here we are, episode number 17. We're going to talk about becoming fearless. Fearless free, powerful, and the type of people that the world is looking for when it comes to those who know how to live in perfect love. So for me, I got to be honest, this subject is really on my heart lately. The Spirit uh, has been doing a lot of work in my life and uh, in my spirit that, that, in my soul, honestly, that I know has been, uh, it's it, the repercussions are going to be felt for years and years and years. And Although it's a bit fresh for me, and I don't, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to speak with some of my friends and family about this subject, simply because of timing and the nature of what's going on. Yet the spirit isn't letting me go when it comes to. I believe there's some nuggets in here for myself, and there's going to be nuggets for you in the audience, even if you're listening to this thing two years from now. For whatever reason, I, I strongly believe that this episode needs to be recorded at this time. Usually I wait uh, I wait for a while when a new realization or revelation or a new way of thinking kind of pops up into my my life. I don't typically go record a podcast of it uh, really quickly because I let it simmer and I let it become an expertise, if you will. And uh, rest assured that a lot of the things I do speak of on here uh, have followed that pattern that there are things that have found their way into my life for a long time to where I can speak of them uh, with a measure of expertise, if you will. But today, give me the grace to uh, to kind of share my heart and be a bit vulnerable. You know, this all starts for me with the question of what is the point of life? And I don't mean the meaning of life in the sense that I believe the meaning of life, the meaning of existence, the meaning of humanity is to be the body of God, right? That we are literally his physical presence in the natural realm, that without humanity, God has no presence in the physical uh, as far as a divine, creative, intelligent, 
interaction. Clearly, his presence is everywhere. Clearly, you know, the animals and the trees, and I get it. I'm not saying that God is not present. I'm saying his divine creative intelligence is present in this realm in us and as us. So that is the meaning of our existence. That is the meaning of life. But what is the point of that? Right? Why? And I, to me, I'm, I'm more asking, what, why did God himself move beyond the moment of being I am? Right? Because in the beginning was God. And God was everything, and there was nothing, quote-unquote, broken. There was no separation, and everything was beautiful and perfect and whole. And yet, here we are. So what is the point of all of this? Why did God do this? And to me, the answer is very simple, yet ultimately one of the most profound concepts for any question you could ever ask. What is the point of life if it is not to simply enjoy existing, to enjoy living, to enjoy the experience of being alive. It's a, it can be viewed as a very philosophical, kind of hard to grasp concept, but if you think about it, it really is what everything boils down to. Why are we here? Why did God do this? Why blah, 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 to experience being. And, and in experiencing it, it's experiencing it in the nature of enjoyment and expansion of our experience. God was fine, quote-unquote, without us, yet he wanted to expand his experience in infinite ways to where his singular divine ultimate consciousness would be split up into, what is it now, 8 billion different people alive at the moment, much less all of those who have been alive in the past, much less the angels, much less any other divine beings in this universe. If there are aliens, which I tend to believe it's a, I, that's probable, I mean, this isn't an alien show, but you know. Uh, so God's experience as the universal consciousness through you is a way in which he has never experienced living he has never experienced being in the way that he is experiencing it through you. And that you are an individual manifestation of the joy of living and the joy of being. And so if that is the point of life, then the next question is, okay, so if it's to, if it's to be an experience... I've kind of assumed that it's to enjoy being and to enjoy the experience. And so if that's the case, how do we do that? Well, for me, the answer has become pretty darn clear. It has become an amalgamation. If you've listened to the episodes up to this point, you'll know how many different ways that I continue to refer to the white stone and the black stone, the I am and the I am not the idea of separation versus oneness, and that, for me, how do we experience the joy of living? There are some really basic tenets that I know I'm a broken record on, but I, I heard this stuff from spiritual teachers, and I read it in the Bible, and I read it in other things, and I heard it for years and years and years and years, and I needed to keep hearing it in different ways because my life would teach me new things, and those new things would teach me a way to revisit what I'd already heard, and around and around and around that circle of learning I went. So yes, 
there are components I'm going to share with you that are not new, but it is now in a new light. And specifically, the idea that fear and love are nothing more than energies and energetic realities around your I am notness or your I amness. And that you cannot have both occupying the same place. You know, I am a man, I am not a woman. To be a man is to not be a woman. And so having I am notness is not to say that it is negative. There's some concepts in here that will be a bit philosophical. This is one of those episodes I've, I've talked a few times on this level that you may need to hear it a few times and you may need to just sit with it. And I'm hoping that the nuggets are just buried throughout it. And I've probably hopefully already said some stuff that has got you thinking differently. So 1 John 4 verses 15 through 18. Let me pull it up here. 1 John 4, verses 15 through 18, says this in the New American Standard Version. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we have, may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And we love because he first loved, loved us. There are so many things in there. And that verse 18, uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That's the verse that I'm, I'm majoring on. But the context already begins to give you somewhat of a formula, right? That whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and believe the, the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in God abides in him. So, okay. Step one is believing in Jesus as is the Son of God. I'm not going to unpack that again. I did unpack that a lot in episode number four, I believe, uh, Who is Jesus? And what I can say is it is the belief in logic and it is the belief in this process that I've laid out in other episodes and that this particular verse could be its own episode, which I almost did actually, is kind of what is salvation. But those who are saved, if you will, God abides in them and they in God. And so you immediately have, right, right out of the gate, there is no separation. That you are one. That those who want to fulfill this formula in their life, to live fearlessly, step number one is you have to address separation. Step number two, <laughs> oh my goodness, this is so relevant. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Okay. How many of you have complete 1,000% faith that God loves you? You see, we know the right answer. We know that the answer is, yes, of course, God is love, because that's the next line, actually. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So you have the no separation again. 
But John's he's he's piling on and he's saying, guys, if you if you're understanding your salvation and that you are one with God, that God is one with you, there's no separation. Now, if there's no separation, step two is, do you understand that how, that God loves you? Because God is love. So many of us, because we still have separation, we see God or we see Holy Spirit as a third party, right? We have myself, the the thing that is my enemy, i.e. the thing I'm fearing, and then you have spirit as this third party, this third entity, or I don't know if third party, this separate entity outside of you that is essentially controlling the whole world and telling everybody what to do. And so if you ever have felt like spirit would have you do something and somebody else says, well, I feel like spirit has me doing this, you have this idea, well, one of us is wrong. Well, for one of us to be wrong, if we're truly following spirit, then the only you have to have the fact or the belief that spirit is a third party, and therefore one of us isn't hearing him correctly because he's obviously not saying different things to, you know, if he's, if he's that way. But what if there truly is no separation? And what if you truly are one with God and what spirit is telling you is true and what spirit is telling somebody else is also true? Now you rub up against who, rub up against, well, what is the motive of this other person? What is the motive of spirit in this? So I say we should, you know, I'm supposed to take road A and spirit's telling me to take road A. And this person over here says, no, no, no. Spirit's saying take road B. Okay. Now we rub up against this perception of disagreement. And if you listen to my episode on the Bible, when you truly have the perception of disagreement, you can, like most people read the Bible, they go, oh, these two idiots don't agree, so one of them's wrong. I don't see it that way. I look at the Bible and I go, oh, there's the perception of a disagreement here, yet I believe in the divinity of those who wrote the books and obviously their connection to spirit, and I believe that spirit through them wrote the books. So spirit is not double-minded and wherever there is the perception of double-mindedness, there's actually a treasure or a lesson buried in it. What you have to have in place in order to believe that is you have to actually believe that God is for you. And for him to be for you, he has to love you. And so my question again, do you truly believe that God is so for you and he's so loves you, that he would never ask you to do something that wasn't for you. Because the reason we often fear anything is because we believe that those things are against us. And as the scripture says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because there is no such thing. There's no such thing if you don't have separation. So this formula, I'm, I'm going to boil it down, but I'm talking around it in different ways because, one, I'm, I am processing some of the things that Spirit is, show, is showing me. I'm doing that, you know, quote unquote, live on this recording. 
But two, I know all the nuances in which our hearts deceive us into thinking, not our hearts, that's so not the right, mm, that is an Old Testament concept. Our fears deceive us into thinking we're, you know, we believe God loves us, yet the moment he asks us to do something that scares us, we have to ask, why does it scare us? Because in the end, you're believing in either separation or you're not truly believing that he loves you. And when you have separation and love, and those two questions are settled, then the final question is, do you trust him? And by trusting him, what I mean is, do you trust the spirit in you? So two weeks ago, I did an episode on the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit 101. And I explained how the Holy Spirit is your I amness, is God, as God, in God. That when I talk about the Spirit, I'm really talking about your individual expression as God Himself. So I ask again, how can that being ever be against you? If that being is you, as you, how is it not always for you? So fear and love. Most of us think fear is, you know, uh, <laughs> we, we think the opposite of fear is, uh, I don't know, courage. And we think the opposite of love is hate. That's not true. Courage comes from love and hate comes from fear. But fear and love are truly the two base energies of your I am and your I am notness, right? Well, love is your I am, fear is your I am notness. And let me try to explain this. If you can remove the, the words fear and love, because I think the English language clearly falls short and energy and emotion and feeling are significantly broader than individual words, which is why you can hate somebody and love them at the same time. That's why you can, you know, you can hold more than one energy in one place. You cannot manifest more than one energy in one place, but you can certainly hold them. And you cannot manifest fear and love, but you can hold both. So here's the deal. The energy of fear is the energy of not. It's the energy of your I am not. If you have any sort of perception of things around you that equals that something is not for you and that something is bad for you, then fear, anger, jealousy, greed, grief, all of those things begin to emanate out of this I am notness. So if you can get away from the, the word fear and get to the feeling of negative, the feeling of I am not, and love, conversely, is your I amness. And so if you perceive something that is good for you, something that you want, something that is forward moving, then you are, you, you are excited about it and it is a positive feeling. And all that really is, is an I amness. It is, and so what you, what you have is that life hands you circumstances that you're perceiving. And in that perception, you're trying to figure out, does it enhance my identity and my experience of living? Or does it reduce my identity or combat my identity and my experience of living? 
Because at the core of who you are, you know that the meaning, the point of life is to enjoy it. And so anything that presents itself to you, an idea, a person, a circumstance, whatever, anything that presents itself to you that you perceive as being a challenge to your identity, a a challenge to your I amness, or an affir- affirming to your I am notness, when those things present themselves to you, you then have a response. It can be, I don't have enough money, so I want to be greedy. It can be, this person is trying to uh, hurt me, so I don't like them. And whatever it is, it's a negative affirmation of the validity of that negative thing. So in order to even have this mechanism going on inside of you, you have to first believe that there are things that can happen to you that are against you. In order to believe that, you have to have separation and a distrust and all of these things. So I'm trying to build a construct to lead you to a place that where I believe I have come, where, and it's very recent for me just to see how stark it is, that the perception of anything being against you is cosmically impossible unless you believe it because you get what you believe you are a creator and so the feeling of things being against you is 100% an affirmation of the fact that things can be against you but if God is for you no one can be against you right there's another verse all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose All things do not necessarily work together for the good of those who aren't called according to his purpose. So you realize that the the key here of these these two verses, all things working together for you, if God is for me, who can be against me? The, The key here is your relationship and your oneness as God. And you notice I said as God, because you are his physical expression. So if that God, that being truly loves you, and you are that being, then how can you ever distrust it? More importantly, how can anything that is in the power of that being ever be against you? So, when circumstances present themselves to you that you perceive as positive, that you perceive as a forward movement of your identity, guess what? You have a love response. You have a positive response. You have a I amness response. Now, it's at, it's, it's at this point I want to tell you, like, if anything torments you, if any thought, idea, circumstances, person, if it creates a tormenting feeling in you, you have not been perfected in love. And that's, so going into the Greek of that verse, 1 John 4, uh, 18, that perfect love casts out fear. Let me pull it up one more time so I don't butcher the, uh, the statement. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Fear involves punishment. The Greek word there is also translated as torment. And isn't that what fear does? Honestly, (laughs) circumstances are what they are. But it is your emotional response to life that chooses whether or not it's enjoyment or torment. Whether or not you're enjoying living, or it is this perception of being punished, 
punishment implies separation. So are you seeing just how valuable your oneness with God really is in your actual experience of life? Because if you are not God, then God is over there. And now you have to have laws that say you need to trust him and that he loves you and everything like that. But do you love yourself? Like, you might have issues and you don't like this about yourself, you know, but at the core of who you are, you love yourself. You know how I know? Because it, it's who you are. Like, if there was something you truly didn't love about yourself, you would change it, right? And as your identity improves and as you grow, you identify more and more things that are immature, and so you mature them. But your where you are right now is a perfect reflection of all the things that you have accepted, And the things that you have accepted at its core are the things that you've become okay with and it is identity. And our identity is predicated on the principle that we preserve ourselves and our identity. So our preservation of self is proof that we love ourselves. We have peripheral issues, but we do at our core, we love ourselves. And if you are God, then God loves you and you can trust you. And then there's this cosmic reality that when things torment you, you are perceiving their power over you. If God is love and you are God, how can anything be against you? See, fear requires judgment and separation and belief that something cannot be for you. Yet, if spirit is your I amness, (laughs) there's nothing that can be against you. So for me, there are some really practical applications for this philosophical idea, not the least of which is getting rid of separation. Those of you who are listening to this, if you can think, uh, and, and you say, those of you who listen to this and you say that you know God loves you and you trust him 100%, If there is a single circumstance that you can think of that would arise in you the fear of its happening, right? So a family member dying, uh, sickness and disease, uh, losing all your money, whatever. If you think of those things and go, no, no, no way. That's against the promises of God and everything. That's fine. But just know you're perceiving the power of those things over you. You are perceiving separation from you and those things and from God. And at its core, you're not believing that, like Joseph, my brother's selling me into slavery was for a greater good. Because all things work together. You realize Joseph had that revelation. He, his brothers are perceiving when he is in Egypt, he's a second in charge of Egypt, he's been there for a while, and his brothers are perceiving his treatment of them as judgment for their sins, and he's listening to them, and he reveals himself, and he says, guys, you don't understand. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You realize that loss of your money, loss of a loved one, loss of, loss of your health, loss of limb, whatever, is the perception that something can be against you instead of for you. Now, it's funny because we all look at circumstances and we go, I know 
it's really shitty right now, but at some point it's going to be good. And so I'm going to grin and bear it and I'm going to hate every minute of it. And I'm so afraid, but I know the promises of God. So someday it's going to be good. Okay, well done. You know, you've, you've matured to the point where you believe that someday you'll be happy about it, maybe. But is that truly manifesting life and life abundantly? What does it look like to become the type of person that even in the midst of it, you find the joy? And by the way, um, super important note here, uh, being free from fear does not equal being happy about everything. <laughs> I actually had this conversation with my wife last night um, on Valentine's Day. We we went out and and enjoyed dinner, and we this conversation came up in a beautiful way. I was talking about being free from fear, and there was some things that we were talking about that I could tell she was perceiving. I was saying, so you should be happy about it. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Being free from fear does not mean you're having a grand old time, you know, losing all your money. <laughs> Being free from fear doesn't mean you're having a grand old time taking your son up to a mountaintop to sacrifice him like Abraham. Or it doesn't mean that Moses was having a blast killing all those Egyptians. It doesn't mean that Joseph was happy-go-lucky for 14 years while he was a slave and he's in prison. Being free from fear simply means being free from fear. It doesn't mean the presence of fun and excitement and happy. It simply means the removal of fear. So what do you replace fear with if you're not happy about it? You can replace it with confidence. You can replace it with peace. You can replace it with rest. You can replace it with a beautiful version of sorrow or grief. Like emotions are beautiful things. They're they're here to serve us. They're not here to rule over us. But fear is not the only expression on that side of it. So it doesn't mean you're supposed to be happy about everything. So don't, don't get confused there. But the experience and the process of overcoming fear first must include your realization that you and God are one. And as such, because you and God are one, you can trust God. And so those are in step one and two. I I would explain it like this. If you're in prison and that prison is everything in your I am notness. The prison cell is separation and the idea that you and God are separate. And if you can adapt the truth that you and God are one and that you are God, you are as an individual expression of God, then you're free from the prison cell, but you're still in the prison building. So step two is that you have to get out of the building and to get out of the building, you have to get out of fear. Because when you're out of fear, you do fulfill, if God is for me, who can be against me? All things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So that when you look at that circumstance, losing your money, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a limb, the the loss of your job, whatever, when you look at that, and instead of looking at the future going, well, someday I know this will be good. I have a good friend of mine who uh, was laid off of his a job as a programmer recently and his company had a lawsuit they lost and had to lay off a bunch of people and he was one of them and i know that there was <laughs> there was about a week and a half where he was super super bummed and i tried to encourage him like hey man this will work together for your good 
and it did actually it was uh it's really cool with a week after he was officially done he's now been hired by another company to make more money than he was before and he's going to learn new things and he's going to expand his knowledge and his experience and it's a wonderful experience now he's happy about it now and he can see it and uh if you're listening to this podcast bro uh i'll leave your name out of it but love you tons but how much better would it have been if Instead of in the moment, you're going, well, someday it'll be worth it. What if you realize, no, right now, right now, this is for me. Right now, instead of enjoying fear, <laughs> I'll enjoy peace. And I'll realize that there's nothing that can be against me. Because the whole point of experiencing these things isn't to become somebody someday. It's to be that person now. We look back at heroes like Abraham Lincoln or Joseph or whatever, and we see the things they experience and go, oh man, what kind of fortitude is that person? But you realize you don't become Abraham Lincoln after doing all the things he did. You have to become Abraham Lincoln before and in the middle and during. You have to be Abraham Lincoln. You don't get to become happy-go-lucky at the end of something, you go, oh, see, it was totally for my good. And override the fact that in the middle of it, you were a miserable wretch. You hated life, you distrusted God, and you had stress out of your every orifice you knew. <laughs> like, seriously, how much better is it to experience life where even in the middle of it, you know that there can be nothing against you, that all things work together for your good? Now, in a very, very real way, there is separation and trust. So, you know, getting rid of separation and then getting complete, 100% unadulterated, unquestioning trust in God because God is you. Those two things are, for most people, they are a lifetime. A lifetime of work and a lifetime of um, not even being aware because I don't think a lot of people have the awarenesses uh, required to accomplish that. But for those on this podcast and listening to my voice at this moment, I believe that those things are for you and that you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't in a place where you were just re you're realizing just how much you and God are one. And that if that's the case, there's just how much you can trust God. Because you can trust that you want your best. Now here's the thing. God is a universal mind, and he's bigger than your mind. So, if you go back to listen to the Holy Spirit 101 episode, you are an individual expression of that universal mind. So, we, someone goes, oh, I can't trust myself. I don't know if I make the right decisions, blah, 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 blah. If you listen to Spirit, Holy Spirit 101, if you listen to Spirit, you can trust that voice. And so, if I could recommend anything, it is in anything in life, to master life, it is to become so intimately familiar with your I amness and its connection to the divine, because that you can trust. And I don't know if we could ever do an episode to adequately or accurately convey that truth. That's, a, that's a, a spiritual muscle that is best reserved for mentorship and friendship, that people that you can practice with. Uh, I encourage you to believe for good friends and mentors that you can practice things th these things with. If you don't know that voice, if you don't know the I amness in you, and you don't know how to follow it, 
then by all means, before you go any further, understand that you're one with God. Understand that that's the voice you can trust and then learn how to hear that freaking voice. From that voice, and you, those of you who have it, you know what I'm talking about. If that voice, that voice, not just any voice, if that voice told you to sacrifice your son, your son of promise, if that voice told you to do that and you knew that you knew that you knew that it was that voice that told you to do it, I'm willing to bet that there would be no fear. I'm willing to bet that you wouldn't enjoy it. You wouldn't be like, yeah, I'm going to go sacrifice my child. I'm not saying that. But I'm willing to bet fear would be gone. Because that's the point. Because your I amness comes from love and your oneness with God. We often look at the story of Abraham and go, well, I'm sure Abraham had an inkling that somewhere along the way there was going to be a ram. That's the person who says, I'll go through this shit because I know someday it'll be for me. That's a, a way of living, but there's a higher way of living and living in the joy now, not in the joy that comes tomorrow. How can you hear that voice when it says to do something difficult, when it says to give all your money? I, I've heard so many stories of people who got to their the end of their rope financially, and that's the voice that said, write a check for every dime you've got. And they gave that check. And this is one of the things that I know the church uses to manipulate people because they tell these stories. And they go, so if you're struggling, give every dime you have and help me buy my second plane. And then it doesn't work. You know why it doesn't work? Because that's the wrong voice, <laughs> right? The voice you listen to is your I amness. And if your I amness says write a check for every dime you've got and you're scared out of your mind that you're not going to be able to feed your kids tomorrow, but it's that voice... You might not enjoy it. You might not like it. But there is no fear. Because that voice is for you. That voice is always for you. So learn that voice. Don't learn my voice. Don't learn the voice of religion. Certainly don't learn the voice of fear and condemnation. Learn the voice that says, even if it's difficult there's peace. Even if there's difficult, even if it's difficult, you might even find excitement and a bit of, ooh, you know, here we go. Here's another challenge. This is going to be fun, right? So learn those voices and learn learn those principles that you are God, that you are of individual expression of him. And because you are, you can trust him because it's you. You can trust her. I don't have any problem calling a spirit of her as well because it's male and female, and I believe so much in the I am-ness of all of us that, that that's a beautiful way to express it. And because that trust is there, you can realize that everything is for you. And because everything is for you, I'm telling you, learn that voice. That is the most important thing if you want to live without fear. Now, there are four additional principles that I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on because somebody wrote a book about it. And it's a book that Spirit led me to in this uh, this sequence of events that I'm going through right now in my life that is, that is changing so much of how I view everything. It's beautiful and challenging. And it has required me to understand that if I get into fear response, I will, I will not go forward well, if at all. But if I can be fearless and free, that there's so many truths and, and amazing, beautiful things on the other side of it and in the middle of it. And by the way, I can 
confidently and proudly and joyfully tell you, I'm not happy and excited about a lot of the things that I'm learning and experiencing, but I am at peace and I'm, and I am, um, I don't know, on the other side there, I am kind of excited. I am. And so I'm not just looking at these circumstances because someday I know they'll be for my good, but because I know right now they're for my good. So this is very real and present reality for me. I'm not telling you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. But in this, there was a book called The Four Agreements that uh, I think it's by Don Miguel Ruiz. The Four Agreements that has come up multiple times in my life in different ways, but this time, I don't remember which one it started with, but it came to my mind one way and the Spirit brought to my attention. Then I was talking with Christopher Teasdale and he brought it up like the next day of the Four Agreements. And then a week later, I'm on the phone with a, a guy, a telemarketer dude, who asked me what I do for a living. I told him what I did. And he and he started telling me about the Four Agreements. And then I pulled it up that night on Amazon and I was going to buy the Four Agreements. And I was about to go on a trip and I decided, you know what? I don't want to buy that book now. I'm going to buy it at the store. I'm going to take it with me on my trip tomorrow. Well, I had a meeting with a coworker before I went to the store and he, as we're, as our meeting is over, I'm about to go to the store to buy the book. He laughs and he says, my mom gave me this book. I have no clue what it is and I don't think I'll ever read it. And he plops it out on the table and it's the four agreements. So literally the spirit gave me this book to read. And I just told him the story. He laughed. He's like, well, apparently it's for you because I don't think I'm going to read it. So he gave me the book and I'm telling you, the Spirit was absolutely speaking to me through that book. And while there are amazing principles, and I'm not even sure the author meant to convey what I got out of it, but I'm going to share with you, and I have been sharing with you essentially what I got out of this book. The four agreements are simple. Agreement number one is to be impeccable with your word. And this is, oh, if you're keeping track, so... The steps to becoming fearless, get rid of separation, insert trust, and learn the voice of God. Those, those are steps one, two, and three. Those are the most important. Now, in the natural realm of dealing with people, step four has four parts to it, and that is live the four agreements. That's my encouragement. Agreement number one is to be impeccable with your word. On the surface, being impeccable with your word looks like do what you say you're going to do, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and it's great. It's beautiful, but on a deeper level is to understand that your life is a reflection of your confession. I know a lot of Christian people that kind of like, oh yeah, let's make sure we don't speak death, and and that's true, but it goes even deeper that your life is a reflection of your confession of your I am-ness or your I am notness. I don't mean to look at and go, oh, I'm allergic to cats. And people, you know, I people will look at me like, well, as long as you keep believing that, you're gonna be allergic to cats. Come on. Yes, you're you're right. You're right on a level, but that's not the kind of confession I'm talking about. The kind of confession I'm talking about is believing that being allergic to cats is not for me. Did you get that? That maybe even being allergic to cats is in my favor. Now, it's a small thing. And it's certainly not as big as losing a loved one or losing all your money or losing your job. But there cannot be anything that is against me. 
And so being impeccable with your word is being impeccable with your confession of your identity. And that really includes how you interact with people around you, circumstances around you, and ideas around you. So that's agreement number one. Agreement number two, and I might be getting them out of order, but I know the four. Agreement number two is don't assume anything. Now, this one has a massive thing to do with people, but it still also has to do with can things be for me or against me? Because if I assume that this negative event or this perception of a negative event has power over me, then I am automatically taking myself down the mental road and the energetic road that says, I'm afraid of this sequence of events, therefore this is bad for me. But what if you assumed that being allergic to cats is for you? That for what you could throw in anything you can. And again, you could throw in, well, someday I'll figure out that it's for me and then I'll be happy about it. Not the best way of experiencing life, in my opinion. How do you realize that even in the midst of it, it's for you? And so instead of assuming that anything can be against you and anything can be negative, and also we build fear and we build negativity out of our imaginary events in our mind, right? So, oh, if I have this conversation or if I do this, then this is going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And half of our fears aren't even warranted because we made all the crap up that got us there. So don't assume. Just let today be today. And I really encourage you to read the book and, and hopefully you'll kind of get a deeper sense of what I'm saying. But again, it drives down to that deep identity, not just on the surface, which is true. There's multiple layers of truth in, in just about every spiritual teaching, including these ideas. So be impeccable with your word. Don't assume anything and don't take things personally. Now, don't take things personally is, I think, at the core of maybe this entire episode, the reality that if things are always for you and that we are one, by the way, so now if everything is for you and everything is for everyone else, then how on earth can any of this be about the personal uh, uh, affront and the personal attack of your identity? It's all for you, including other people's I amness. Now that one, oh boy, that one can be tested daily. Uh, And clearly I'm not suggesting that you, uh, how can I say this? There are crappy people in life. And I'm not saying that this should be a recipe for being abused. Okay, so when when I'm talking about trusting other people, trusting the spirit of them, like everything's for you and everything is for them. They just don't know it yet. So their experience of living is is miserable. And so they can, in their I amness, they can make your experience of living pretty miserable too. That can be for you, but I don't mean stay in it. Yes, you might be, you know, being being in an abusive relationship can certainly be for you, but get out of it. Like, that's also for you to learn how to stand up for yourself. And every, you get what I'm saying. But don't take things personally, especially when you're surrounded by a community of people that understand these things. Because at some point, humanity, and in in the episode where I talk about living in a perfect world, at some point, humanity has to understand how to allow all of us to be 100% free and us, yet 100% submitting ourselves one to another in love. The only way we do that is if we're all connected to principles one or steps one through three. There's no separation. We trust God because God is us, and we all hear the Spirit of God so perfectly. 
So any perceived differences in people's opinions as to what God wants us to do, what God is saying, and like how I read the Bible, instead of seeing those as disagreements, I see those as opportunities for buried treasure and learning lessons and and growth. Because I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that I, I'm at that point now where I've I've surrounded myself with people that I have to trust. They're mature enough in the Lord and in their identity that everything is for me, but at the same time, I love them enough to, to believe that everything is for them. And so when they tell me X, Y, and Z about their life, or if there's, <laughs> I don't take it personally, and I definitely don't make assumptions about what they mean. I mean, there's just so many ways to live this way. And the last is to do your best in everything. For me, this this one of the agreements is something I've actually held on for years because the only person you have to live with is you. Right? In the end, all of your action, all of your belief, all of your identity comes down to your I amness. And if you have given yourself a reason to be dissatisfied with your I amness, you know, I'm always procrastinating and da 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 da. Okay. Well, do your best. And you will never, ever, ever, ever regret a day. You'll never regret a decision. You'll never regret a conversation because you're you're doing your best in everything. Now, you can look back and go, wow, that was really stupid, but I did my best. That, you can sleep at night. If you knew that you dropped the ball and you were just lazy about it and you caused a relationship problem or whatever, that's difficult to go to sleep. But if you know, hey, this was really difficult, I probably didn't make all the right decisions, but I did the best that I could. I gave it everything. That is an identity you can live with. And then that identity gets wiser and wiser and better and better and stronger and stronger. And it grows. So there's some practical realities and how to interact with yourself and with the world in such a way as to become fearless. And for me, The Four Agreements was a book that the Spirit gave to me at a time where I needed to learn how to become fearless. And I needed to learn, hey, fearless and fun are not the same thing. You can be in battle and you can be in pain. You can, you can be regretting having to, you know, chop off other people's heads. This apparently this is an old middle, uh, <laughs> medieval battle. Uh, during the Dark Ages, whatever, you you know, you got your, your armor on and you're in the middle of it and you are covered in blood and sweat and mud and this may not be the greatest day of your life, but you can still be fearless in the middle of it because it's for you. Because you are one with God and God is you. You can trust that voice and you can trust God. Being fearless has a path required to walk to get there, which is why I come all the way back to the beginning. What is the point of life if it's not to enjoy it? Life is going to give you things that can create fear. But if you can become the type of person who finds fearlessness in those things, your ability to enjoy every experience and enjoy every lesson and enjoy everything in life. You now 
are beginning to manifest life abundantly. Because that is why God exists. Hint, hint, that's why you exist, is to have an abundant life. And the universe, and the, and the, <laughs> and the universal mind known as Father, conspires to bring those who live this way Everything works together for their good. And if you want to be on that list, I highly suggest that you understand that fear is an energy that is the most beautiful barometer you could ever have. And it has become for me a signal. And like I said, fear is not the right word in the sense that it is energy. So negative I think negative is a better word. So negative energy is a barometer that when it shows up in me, I don't run from it anymore. I turn right to it. And I find the thing in me that is being grown. I find the weed that is being pulled. I find the leaven that is being removed. Because now any negative feeling is a, it's an X marks the spot for something that Austin gets to move past. And even in that, I find enjoyment. Because now when I'm offended, or when I'm hurt, or when I'm scared, or when I feel like I'm not enough, or whatever it is, <laughs> it makes me excited in a, in, in a not so excited way. Like I get it, you don't have to be happy about it. But it truly does. There is a deep seated joy and excitement about living and being, even in the crappy moments. So I hope this ministered to some of you. I know it has to me. I know there are so many nuances to all the reasons why this is a load of crap, Austin, and you don't understand the things that have happened and blah, 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 blah. All I can ask you, and I'm getting to the point now with all of my friends and family where I just want to ask them, what did Spirit say about that? You should probably do that. If I, if even that, it's like, well, what if I don't trust them to have Spirit? Oh, Oh, so you think things can be against you. You think their decisions can come against you. So even letting other people free is part of letting yourself free. For me to go, what do you think spirit tells you? And then their answer is a load of crap and it would really be negative in my life and blah, 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 blah. Oh, so I'm perceiving. (laughs) You get the point? There's nothing that can be against you because everything is for you. And if you can truly believe that, you can have an abundant life. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope I hope you got some nuggets. Please consider donating. Uh, NAC is uh, growing in its listening audience, and I don't ask every time, but if you just would talk to Spirit, consider donating and keep us alive and well. And uh, we are getting closer and closer on those projects for the uh, the classes. Um, we're going to do paid kind of mentoring classes, subject focused. The first one will be on types and shadows of the Bible. It's going to be a types and shadows 101 class. It'll probably go to, I'm thinking anywhere from four to six weeks. And uh, we're going to do it in the evenings during the week. And uh, prices and details will be forthcoming in the next couple weeks. And as always, thank you for your time. And guys, remember if anything is true, There's a way in which it is true. And you being God is the top of that list. That you are his body and individual expression of him. And the more you meditate on that, the more you will find an abundant life. God bless you guys. See you on the next episode.